They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. All right. Welcome back to Magellan's at the Movies, the premier movie reviewing podcast of the Midwest. Nathan, this is a very big week for movies. On the news front, SAG-AFTRA, the strike has, well, it hasn't ended, but they've come to an agreement with the studio. The rank and file members still have to vote on it, but I think that the general uh, prediction is that it's going to go through. It's a big deal. The union got a lot of what they were looking for in terms of revenue from streaming and most importantly, protections from AI. The studio agreed that they can't use actors' likenesses or uh, visual or audio for their own purposes without letting them know or paying them. Thank absolute goodness, because that could have been an, a total cluster F I'm happy. I'm I'm glad that the union stood strong and that they got what they wanted, and I'm glad that they can get back to work. Uh, Nathan, your thoughts? Yeah, it's pre- it's pretty exciting. It seemed like I think last week when they met, it seemed like this um, strike might have to go on for quite a bit longer. So I think it's you know everyone's always excited that it's ending. Production can resume. Like I said, after the writer's strike thing ended, it's going to be interesting to see what this affects in terms of movie releases for next year. Because already there's a lot of 2024 movies that got that are getting kind of pushed back a bit. So I don't know. Next year could kind of be a little dead in terms of big, high profile releases just because of these strikes. Well, yeah, we'll see what happens Uh, in terms of movies coming out. Today, we have a very pleasing doubleheader. Uh, David Fincher's The Killer and Alexander Payne's The Holdovers, the former being released on streaming on Netflix and the latter being released in theaters. I'm excited for both of these, probably more excited for The Killer because I just love David Fincher, but I am planning on seeing The Holdovers. I have to go to Jordan Creek because... It's not big enough for Fridley, the, the movie theater in town, to take it. But uh, I'm planning on watching The Killer today. I was just on Netflix recently, and it it was like the headline movie. And so they, it was playing a clip, and the main character was saying, like, people just can't accept that the beyond is nothing but a cold, infinite void of darkness. And I was like, that's my boy, Fincher. That's my boy. So yeah, it's uh I'm excited. Big week. Yeah, two two very different movies. If you want a real whiplash of a double header, the killer is like you already said, classic Fincher sort of nihilism. And the holdovers is supposed to be a bit of a throwback 90s feel-good film that 
everyone who watches it is just, you know, bubbling and happy after viewing it. So <laughs> maybe go maybe go uh, killer then holdovers and not the other way around. Yeah, sure. Also, one other thing, uh, Nathan, you've mentioned this movie to me before. It's not coming out. I mean, it's coming out soon. It's not coming out this week, but Dream Scenario with Nicolas Cage. Uh, this was not something that I was really interested in, but when I started reading reviews of it, it actually really piqued my interest. If you don't know, which you probably don't, it's a A24 movie, everyone's favorite pretentious uh, studio, starring Nicolas Cage as a man who achieves worldwide fame after, for I'm guessing, unexplained reasons, he starts appearing in millions of people's dreams. That sounds like a really wacky premise, but apparently it serves as the backbone for a very funny, very strange, sometimes dark comedy. That sounds sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's supposed to be pretty good. The, a trailer came out a bit ago, and I, I watched the trailer, and I thought it looked really funny. I mean, Nicolas Cage has just been doing the wackiest stuff for the last, like, you know, 10 years or so. But this this movie looks pretty good, and you're right. The reviews have been very positive. So I don't know if this is... I don't know if it'll be in theaters near us, but it's certainly something that if as soon as it's on streaming or it's there's a way for me to watch it, I think it's going to be something I want to see. Dude, I, this this section is running long, but I'll always remember checking constantly the showtimes at Jordan Creek for Banshees of Inisherin, and then the one time when it finally appeared, like, I immediately ran to my phone to text you, like, oh, it's, it's, it's at Jordan Creek, it's, it's here, it's here. So maybe, maybe something similar will happen, because sometimes Jordan Creek does get uh, those kinds of movies a bit later than everyone else. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's, that's enough bantering about the state of films in in America. Let's let's dive into the movie that we're talking about today. This is yet another request. We love requests. I love requests. Elliot kind of gets grumpy about them. <laughs> but this was a request from um, Natalie Arnold, who is the wife of AJ Arnold, who is a guest. He's in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly episode, if you want to go back and listen to that one. But she requested uh, the 2001 film Spy Kids, which um, I think this is fairly popular. This is kind of in the same camp as like High School Musical and some of these other kind of the B movie, I guess. Movies that a lot of people our age, Elliot, watched when they were kids and then... When they revisited them as adults, they were like, wow, this is weird. Like, this is a really weird film. This is really bizarre. And yeah, Spy Kids, there's not much to be said. It's about some kids who are spies or who become spies over the course of the movie. It spawned, I don't know if you knew this, Elliot, five, four other movies. So there's five Spy Kids movies, including a modern one that came out two years ago. That's like a legacy sequel or something, I guess. In terms of our own experience, or at least my own experience, I don't remember watching the first Spy Kids movie in 
full. I remember catching parts of it on Disney Channel. The only Spy Kids movie I remember watching all the way through is, I want to say, the third one we maybe rented from Family Video and watched. But otherwise, we did not have that much experience with Spy Kids as kids, or at least I don't remember having it. Maybe you watched it at you know sleepovers with your cool friends. Yeah, Elliot, what was what was? Did you have a different experience with Spy Kids or what? Okay, first of all, I don't have a problem with the idea of recommendations or requests. Sorry, it's just that people keep on requesting certain movies. <laughs> that fall into a <laughs> category that you would strain to call objectively pleasing. Okay. So <laughs> I mean, I'm fine with I'm fine with Hannah who uh requested Memento. Great job, Hannah. Keep it up. Uh maybe maybe request something else. <laughs> Good. Uh the other thing what was the other the other thing is I didn't go to sleepovers. So just get that out of your head. Um <laughs> Finally, I can answer your question. Uh, I had the same experience. I remember watching parts of this on Disney Channel. I remember being forced to stop watching it because mom thought it was, just didn't want to see it. She thought it was weird. And I remember watching the third one and Elijah Wood showing up for like 10 seconds before getting killed. And I think, isn't Sylvester Stallone the enemy or the villain? Yeah. Yeah, so that's okay, whatever. There was so many cameo celebrity cameos in this that I was like, why are you here? What are you doing? But I guess Robert Rodriguez has a real pull, or at least uh Disney's checkbook has a real pull. So I guess we can start with our initial impressions now that we've gotten the plot rundown you didn't really do a plot rundown but that's because this movie doesn't have much of a plot spy children their parents are spies their parents get kidnapped by an evil television show runner and they have to become spies to rescue them and along the way they have all kinds of zany misadventures and they meet uh machete playing machete so that's interesting uh, yeah, the initial impression is that this movie was quite bad. Quite, quite bad. I thought that it was... I mean, it is weird. It is weird. This movie is a bizarre, cuckoo, bananas, off-the-rails, fever dream of a movie. <laughs> um, there is some legitimate nightmare fuel in this movie, like the prosthetic makeup on the Fooglies, these uh, humanoid monstrosities that Floop, the evil TV guy, creates, that is that is just deranged. And it's funny to talk about it. Like it's funny, haha, this kid's movie is was created by people who were on weapons grade LSD. But also, in terms of legitimate artistic criticism, it creates very, a totally inconsistent movie. Beyond that, there's just the terrible performances. I mean, look, it's child actors. It's it's not their fault. They're just kids. I don't want to get down on them, but they, they are very child actory, child actors. Uh, awful special effects, ridiculous plot, constant 
things that just don't make sense. Like, goodness, the, the amount of times where I was like, wait, I thought X was true and now I'm being told Y. Or like, why didn't they do simple thing A to avoid very avoidable threat B? So it's just sloppy and weird and dumb and I really didn't like it. And I was pretty, I was pretty annoyed by the time the credits rolled. Uh, I was very happy to be done with it. I'm sorry, Natalie. Uh, again, <laughs> you should like what you like. There is, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, I don't think anyone should dislike this movie. They love it. If It's your childhood. If you think that I'm wrong and that it's legitimately uh, an artistic achievement, great. Go for it. Um, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you see what I don't. I'm never happy to dislike a movie, but yeah, I, I really dislike, this was a pretty unpleasant viewing experience for me. I, I, I don't think I disliked it as much as you, you seem to be quite annoyed by the film, but this feels like a similar vibe to when we watched Hot Rod that me not disliking it as much as you is not so much an, an endorsement of the movie. Uh, I don't think necessarily some of the things you listed, and we can go more into this later, but I don't think some of the things you listed are necessarily cons for me. The biggest thing is, and you said this, and I think this is true of a lot of children's movies that don't really hold up, is there's a lot of stuff in this movie that just doesn't make a lot of sense like when you watch it as an adult if you watch it as a kid everything makes sense because you're a child and you have very limited <laughs> ability to perceive things uh other than the way they are but this movie is just really there was a lot of things in this movie to me that made no sense like why would why would he make robots and then purposely give them so, like purposely make them bad at like catching things or doing things because the thumb robots appear to be working on some fairly sophisticated robot technology but he's completely neutered most of the usefulness of them by making them thumbs uh there's a lot of twists not a lot of twists but like the twist of tony shalhoub's character being the real villain instead of floop doesn't really work because there's very little setup for it. Floop. And then they're, they kind of try and salvage Floop's image after Minion backstabs him, which I don't think really should succeed because Floop is still like a bad human being. Like he still did bad things. So like he should go to jail for that. That's how jail works. We don't get to just forgive people. And then jail doesn't well, exist we can forgive people it's just that doesn't that doesn't exclude them from repercussions of their actions yeah 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 that's what i meant but there's just it feels like there's a lot of stuff in the movie that i'm like this doesn't really work or resonate or this isn't very entertaining for me because there's all of these fundamental questions that i feel like the movie is glossing over it's very low effort. Like they know that their primary audience is not going to notice or care about this stuff. So they're just like, we won't notice or care about it ourselves. I mean, you talked about things not making sense in terms of like narrative structure of like setup and payoff. 
I agree with that, but I was also noticing so many things that just didn't make sense, like in universe, like minute to minute continuity errors or things that just made no sense. Like the fact that the giant shaft that Carmen falls down leads to the thumb thumb construction area and that the thumb thumbs apparently are exoskeletons. They have no internal robotics. They're just like, so she could slip into that costume and the fact that Floop was supposed to be locked in the virtual room, but Junie just opens the very unlocked door, stuff like that. That's just dumb. That's just that's just the product of a writer who doesn't give a fart about what he's what he or she is writing. That's that's dumb. That's and it annoyed me a lot. Sorry. Well, I don't I don't want to assume anything about the commitment level of anyone working on a film. Well, it's either their just... commit it's it's either their commitment level or their skill level. It's got to be one or the other. I would be much more inclined to whatever. We're not here to critique specific we're critiquing the movie. We're not here to bash individual people. Yeah, I feel like we could go on for a while on things that don't make sense to me. The only other one that in my head the only other two ones that was just confusing was one, the fact that the parents go like get right back in the game. They drive for like 10 minutes and then they're instantly captured. These guys suck as spies. I mean, they don't achieve anything as well as in the story that she tells them. And that we see at the beginning of the movie about how she met. Also, this is, Fairly pointless, but this is our second movie in a row with Antonio Banderas in it, so that's kind of neat. Yeah, true. A far inferior movie <laughs> to the other one. <laughs> but the story that she tells him at the beginning says that they both worked for, like, opposing secret agencies, but then when they go back into the game and throughout pretty much the entire movie, it seems like both of them were working with the OSS, which is confusing, or maybe it was just he was working with the OSS and they're now chill with her, even though the reason they went into hiding was because they weren't. Anyway, there's a lot of things that don't make sense in this movie. First of all, can I just say that she's obviously talking about the Cold War when they're, when she's telling that story. And spies were – the concept of spies was not invented in the Cold War. The, the concept of spycraft – Sub subterfuge espionage is many centuries older than that, so that was weird. But also, the thing about uh your about them getting captured—that's another thing that doesn't make sense, like in universe, because they they they're in this like submersible thing and they're being followed. I can't even remember by what. Maybe a goober fish. So they're being followed by a goober fish. And they they emerge into this big underwater clearing, and there's this giant sub, and they're like, oh no, this is a problem. And then the sub opens its hangar, and they just kind of fly into it, and there's no implication that they're caught in a tractor beam or anything like that. They're just like, oh no, there's an open area in front of us. Guess we'll just have to not move out of the way. And so, yeah, it's just stuff like that all the time. That's just that's just moving the plot along in such a lazy, low-effort way. Either lazy or or incompetent. I'm sorry. It has to be one or the other. 
Yeah. I guess to to move on into a bit of a different direction, I suppose. Although, again, it feel like there's not very much to really dive into with this movie. There's kind of a, a very weak sort of thread of family and the one and Judy has a bit of a character arc per se of the becoming one? less scared. Huh? You said the one and Judy. Are you talking about Carmen? Carmen? No, Judy has a character arc. What? Junie's the boy, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, Carmen also has a a a, a phoned-in character arc of not wanting to okay. take well, care of both... Junie and then just sort of deciding that she's changed despite nothing having actually changed. Yeah, well, I, I guess in that sense, Carmen has a bit of a stronger character arc than Judy. Judy, I don't think there's ever much attention paid to the fact that he's scared. There's never a moment where, like, He's scared and he can't do anything. And then at the be- at the end of the movie, he can do that thing, which is how you would typically do a character arc like this. Judy or Carmen, they both have girls' names, which really annoyed me, especially well, it's, when it's not it's not Judy, it's Junie, Nee, Junie. Yeah, really? Yeah, that still doesn't sound like a boy's name to me, but whatever. Carmen has a bit of more of a character arc, at least in the sense that she's given a reason to stop feeling the way she does. Because when she meets Machete, he says the same things that she had said previously about Junie. And so at the very least, she had a bit of, or like you could make up a case that, right, she saw someone doing what she did. And so she was able to realize like, oh, that was bad. That was wrong of me. Well, yeah, because there's never there's never a moment when she hears that stuff where she, the, like the camera focuses on her and she she evinces with her expressions or her posture like any kind of recognition or, or like a shameful recognition. So you're you're right that that you would the audience has to do a lot of work for that to uh, be present in the movie. That's that's because, Elliot, I see a lot of uh, similarities between this and a lot of Terrence Malick movies. They're having a lot of trust in the audience. They're they're assuming they'll be able to carry a lot of this through. But yeah, there's just very thin sort of character arcs. The action scenes are not. And I guess we could talk. We could talk about this because you said the special effects are very bad. And Robert Rodriguez directed a slew of movies in the early 2000s with seemingly purposefully bad CGI, the biggest of those being Shark Boy and Lava Girl, which kind of famously looks terrible. But it seems intentional, especially in comparison to write other movies releasing at the same time that had CGI, like The Lord of the Rings or Titanic, that looked very good. And so Spy Kids, I wouldn't say it having bad CGI is a bad thing because it feels like a design choice as opposed to something like a modern Marvel movie where the CGI looks terrible. And I think it's just because they didn't give the visual effects people enough time to do it well. So it just looks terrible because of mismanagement. Whereas in this movie, the CGI is bad, but I think it's... uh, presenting kind of a cohesive 
uh, visual style. You could say you don't like that visual style because it looks kind of gross and weird, which I think is legitimate. But I don't think it, having bad CGI is necessarily a bad thing because I think it's intentional. Elliot's making a face. That is extraordinarily charitable on your part. I <laughs> commend your generous spirit. I'm a charitable guy. What can I say? Well, let's 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 talk about the characters because we've already sort of addressed Junie and Carmen. They have a a classic bickering sibling relationship that allegedly is mended into a more close sibling relationship like the kind you and I have, Nathan. Uh, we've already been on that arc ourselves. Yeah. But aside from our main characters, we've also got parents whose names I've completely forgotten. Uh, Gregorio is Antonio Banderas' yep. guy. I can't remember what the woman is called. We'll just call her woman. So uh, Gregorio and woman. Again, there's this like, it seems it seems very cursory, this attempt to try to tell a story about like the harmful nature of secrets in a family dynamic because uh, Gregorio is keeping secrets from woman and woman dislikes this. And she, she mentions many times her knowledge of the children keeping secrets from them, like Junie lying about having friends at school and Carmen skipping school for reasons that I can't even remember. I think they're pretty, they're actually pretty innocuous. Uh, it's not like I, she's... I don't think... Yeah, I don't even think the movie addressed why she was skipping school. It's not like she's doing drugs or anything. I get But it, anyway, yeah. there's this thread, but it never really... It's, it's, it's very underdeveloped. And its resolution is, is so clean and so easy that I'm like... Why did we even bother having this? It's a very sitcom resolution where everyone just kind of apologizes and hugs. And the, it's like the anti-Seinfeld ending. Everyone apologizes, everyone hugs, everyone makes up, and then we're good to go. So I, and the, it seemed like the, Gregorio and woman's role in the story was functional in that they had to get the children to become secret agents and also just to like kind of roll out this fairly tired and fairly underdone, underdeveloped, underbaked uh, theme, if you could even call it that, of secrets harming the people you're close to, even though they don't really. They, they have no real negative consequence. Like, woman is barely even annoyed at uh, Gregorio for keeping secrets and... Nothing bad ever comes of the of the, the the lightweight secrets that the children are keeping. So that's that's annoying. It's it's silly and, and lame. But what what do, you, what do you think? What do you think? You're, it's, the the defense will now speak um, and try to come up with some insane, uh, generous interpretation of this. No, I don't. I agree. I think it's again it. I think your example of it feels like a sitcom ending is so true, especially in regards to other resolutions in the movie, such as Machete showing up at the end. And like, 
it doesn't matter because Floop has already reprogrammed the kids. So he just shows up again just so they can resolve that thing. But because we don't get a scene of him grappling with it or at all, it doesn't really feel like that meaningful of resolution. As well as Machete is another person who seems like not a great human being, given the fact that he was making tech devices for the villains the whole movie as well, which is kind of whack. Yeah, and it just feels like in gen, it just feels like in general, right? There's not much thematic material here to sink your teeth into, and so that's when I I would go to just like pure enjoyment, right? Like Mad Max Fury Road isn't a very deep movie, but it is like really, really, really well made and it's really entertaining consistently throughout its runtime. So for me, this movie would have to be very consistently entertaining in order to overcome the weaknesses it has in terms of plotting and characters. And it just isn't. Um, It's occasionally funny. I found the gag... When the parents are like first getting to know each other and they're having like long distance dates and it's a neat visual gag that it shows the mom and then the dad and then it shows the wide shot that they're sitting at, you know, opposite ends of a restaurant having a date. I found that gag kind of funny. I want to say there was another joke that I found mildly amusing but on the whole, I didn't think the movie was that funny. It, maybe it would have been funnier if I was with other people laughing, but it, I wasn't. And yeah, and so then the movie just kind of, there's very little for me to enjoy about the movie because it's not all that interesting to think about and it's not all that entertaining to watch outside of, I thought it was kind of neat, and this is going to come up later when I do my recommendations, but I thought being able to see the movie, the fact that I had seen the movies that clearly inspired this movie, that was kind of neat, just in a, oh, this is cool that I'm seeing the influence of other things I've seen. But, uh, yeah, on the whole, it, it was not, it was not that great. Well, yeah, the the other thing is that, like, Mad Max has a very distinct and very appealing style and aesthetic to it of like desert roadster post-apocalypse. And this movie has, it certainly has a style. I'm not sure I would call it appealing, but it's like, because, and so that you, I can, I would be willing to uh, attribute to just, difference of tastes that I didn't gel with this movie's style, which was very goofy, very, like, very silly James Bond-esque. And I already don't like James Bond, so not much to do about that. But yeah, so, like, that doesn't do anything for me. And also, like you said, it's not very entertaining because it's not like the action scenes are really cool or really well-constructed or very creative. They're essentially just chases, different chases. And, like, sometimes they get into fisticuffs with their child bots, but it's just children throwing each other around, so I'm not sure anyone would find that appealing to watch. Moving on in terms of characters... 
Let's talk about Floop and his minion. And also, I just want to mention that Mr. Lisp is played by the guy who played the evil Terminator in T2, which was very strange to see. That's another one of those celebrity can I guess he's not a huge celebrity, but like one of those cameos where I was like, why are you here? Don't you have anything better to do? But yeah, so Floop is... I think he might be actually unstable or suffer from some kind of neurodivergency because he is just so strange and I cannot express to you how uncomfortable I would be with children in this man's presence because he's he's so he it seems like he's suffer maybe he has like arrested development or something he kind of reminded me of Alex from Prisoners as not someone who you want to be reminded of um cuz he's just He's just so, like, vacant and kind of doesn't seem to really grasp what's going on around him. And I, it, it just made me, like, I don't know if it's intentional. If they're, if, I, I would very much, I'd, very be, I'd be very surprised if they were intentionally trying to portray him this way. But once that got into my head, I was just like, man, this is really sad and depressing that this, like, neurodivergent person is being abused and taken advantage of by his his guy his minion uh so that was that made the viewing experience pretty uncomfortable and then we have minion who's just a generic evildoer he has no motivation or backstory or character to speak of and i was so confused at the very end so there's this machine that floop uses to turn people into these weird monstrosities yet is somehow still like considered redeemable in the eyes of the movie i don't know know why allegedly it turns people's brains into mush even though that is not the case because the uh fooglies can communicate with junie they're just talking backwards uh so that's another inconsistency but so they get Minion onto this machine, and they're like, ha ha ha, now you're in for it because you're chained to this machine, and we're going to hold your finger on the button that if you release it, it'll turn you into a Foogly. And Minion's like, oh, you fool. I'm just going to do that. Which I was thinking like, okay, is this going to give him super strength or something? Like, how is this going to translate into him getting the upper hand? Because he clearly thinks that there's some advantage to be gained from becoming a Fugly, but nothing happens other than he looks weird, he talks in a chipmunk voice, and he breaks out of his chains somehow. Maybe it gave him super strength, maybe it didn't. It's impossible to say because it never factors into the movie. It just, he looks weird, and then he gets defeated, along with Mr. Lisp and his girlfriend, uh, just like everyone else. So, yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense again like most of this movie it doesn't seem to hold up to any amount of like uh, scrutiny which uh is a big issue if the scrutiny that you're giving the movie while viewing it is resulting in you um just being confused by the movie because yeah, I I don't think either of them are very good villains, and neither of them make very much sense. Besides the things you've already mentioned, I don't understand why Minion needed Floop at all. 
because couldn't he have just made the television show himself? It's not like he's that weird. It's not like Tony Shalhoub can't headline a TV show because he famously did on a very popular television show. So, yeah, it's just confusing. They're not very intimidating. And, yeah, I agree with all of this stuff about Minion turning himself into a foogly. It, it makes no sense because he's the only one who retains all of his ability to, like, talk normally and stuff. Yeah. It just, like everything, like most of the rest of the movie, it makes very, very, very little sense. And it's confusing as to why no one ever said, hey, this this doesn't make sense on set. But I don't know. What, what else is there even to say? Like, there's music in this movie. No one cares. <laughs> uh, there's... I guess the set design displays some creativity in how they accommodate all these insane ideas. So, good job, set designers. Um, <laughs> and obviously, like, if this was a real passion project for anyone, then, oh, sure, okay. I I'm sorry that it didn't work out for me, but obviously it's very popular. A lot of people like it, so they can they can take that and... Just forget about me because I'm stupid. No one cares about what I have to say. Uh, it's just that, like, this movie's really bad. Well, it's also interesting because Robert Rodriguez kind of got his start making fairly gritty, nasty, Tarantino-esque action movies. And then pretty much exclusively in the early 2000s, he made stuff like this. And so... I don't know. It's just interesting that that's the direction he chose to go in. So clearly he does like making this type of movie or he wants to make this type of movie. I'm not sure as to why, but I guess that's just the thing. Well, are you ready to go into ratings then, Elliot? Yeah. Also, I looked it up and Carla Gugino is the actress who plays... Her name is Ingrid, so if anyone Ingrid. was curious about that. I legitimately have no memory of anyone saying that name. Like, they, she she has more screen time, I think, than Gregorio, but she does not. I mean, neither of them do very much. Both of them were kind of, like, not given much to do. But <laughs> it's always nice to see Antonio Banderas. He's very young in this movie, very young-looking. And uh, I'm not sure if I've seen Carla Cugino in anything else, but she's obviously she's an accomplished actress. She does a fine job. It's really the material that they're working with that's at fault. All right. Well, I'll get to my rating. I think, like I've already said, uh, there's not much for me to enjoy personally in this movie. There were some jokes that were kind of fun. It's kind of neat just as a historical artifact of the early 2000s when people made movies like this. But otherwise, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not very exciting or particularly well-made in a lot of areas where I would want it to be. Uh, so I think, I think I'm going to have to give it, a, I don't know, a, a 3.7 out of 10, something like that. I'm trying to compare it to Jurassic World Dominion which I would say is probably worse than this just because 
way more money went into that sucker and that thing made a billion dollars. So this is clearly less of an affront to cinema than Jurassic World Dominion. Dominion made a billion dollars? Yeah. Are you serious? Yes. Well, that's that's unfortunate. <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I really disliked this movie. I didn't really find anything redeeming in it. Very bad special effects, nonsensical story, not great acting. Um, yeah, there's just nothing really to recommend this movie unless you're really into like weird non sequiturs. Uh, in which case, this movie is, will probably like blow you away because this movie is is bizarre. Um, but yeah, there's I can't really say anything good about it. Uh, it's, it's just was not very pleasant to watch. I'm sorry, everyone, but I have to give this a D minus. Wow. Well, like I said earlier, we're going into recommendations. And like I said earlier, it was kind of fun for me to watch this movie and see all of the ways it had clearly been influenced by other movies that I watched. And Elliot already mentioned this, uh, this film is very very similar to the pierce brosnan james bond movies of which there are four so my recommendation is and this is a bit different than my usual recommendation because i don't really love the pierce brosnan bond movies i think they're too silly for their own good at times but i think if you liked spy kids i think you would most likely enjoy the pierce brosnan bond movies because they're basically just more adult PG-13 versions of this. So you can watch any of them. They're not in a meaningful order. It's GoldenEye, which is famous for being GoldenEye, Die Another Day, The World Is Not Enough, and Tomorrow Never Dies, I think are the four. But they are very much in the same vein of goofy early 2000s. Uh, This is the silliest I think that James Bond ever gets. There's a part where he's fighting like a North Korean dude in a cyborg suit. Uh, There's a lot of ridiculous things happen in these movies, but it's a very similar style. There's kind of bad CGI, goofy villains, goofy heroes, silly gadgets. It's very much in the same vein. I think you would probably enjoy it if you liked this movie. Yeah, I... I've only seen Goldeneye out of those. I did not like it very much. I was very surprised to learn that it was like the darling of the Pierce Brosnan James Bond movies. All right, clearly people again, clearly people are seeing things that I'm not, so I don't I think I'm in the minority there, so I mean, I cannot second this recommendation, but it, there are plenty of people who would, so do with that what you will. My recommendation is going to be The Incredibles because It's also heavily features two kids who are kind of caught up in their parents' world. It's less about subterfuge. Well, there actually is quite a lot of sneaking around and uh, espionage work going on. But everyone's heard of The Incredibles. You don't need me to tell you that it's a great movie. It's one of Pixar's best. I know I talked about finding it a bit about questioning some of its, like, four kids elements in Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. But that doesn't mean that I don't. That doesn't mean that I don't think that it's a good movie. Obviously, I think that The Incredibles is fantastic, and it's also about like family. It's got a. They, I mean, they do The Incredibles pose in uh, 
Spy Kids. There at the end when they're fighting, when they're about to fight the child robot army, all the, the parents in the back, children in the front, fighting positions, ready to go. That's straight out of The Incredibles. So if you're going to steal, steal from the best. And yeah, it's, yeah, there's really not much that I can say about uh, what? What? You got your order wrong there, dude. Incredibles came out after Spy Kids. Did it? Are you sure? Yeah, it came out in like 2003. Hold on a second. The Incredibles, 2004. Spy Kids, 2001. Wow, that's amazing. Well, disregard everything I just said. <laughs> Incredibles is great, and it's ripping off of Spy Kids and uh, improving on the stuff that it's plundering. Um, yeah. The Incredibles is great. Go watch it. I'm sure you'll have a good time. Even if you dislike this movie, there's still every chance that you'll love The Incredibles because The Incredibles is great. But hey, life is hard and full of disappointments. Remember that. Well, I can say that. I love The Incredibles. That's one of my like top 30 favorite movies of all time. So Dang. obviously I support that. It's a gr- Dude, it's a great movie, okay? I, I know. I just I didn't know you liked it that much. I'm a huge, I'm a huge, I love superhero, we're not going to get into this. I love superhero (laughs) stuff. It plays with the superhero formula formula in a way that I think is still fresh. Even watching it now, after 30 Marvel movies, Incredible still feels like a breath of fresh air. Despite that, because it's doing something so new and so fun and so clever. I agree. The thing that I was going to say is that you reminded me that the Marvels is also coming out this week the sequel to Captain Marvel and WandaVision and Miss Marvel. So if you've seen all that and you're interested, give it a watch. I will be sitting this one out. Obviously it's been, I'm two years Marvel sober. Uh, I've got my chip. It's my, one of my most prized possessions. So I'll be sitting with this one out, but for people who do like Marvel movies, enjoy. I hope it's, I hope it's good. Hope you like it. Well, anyway, thank you. Natalie for the request even though we didn't necessarily enjoy the movie we always love to have requests come in we love community participation and yeah we're going to be back next week with another brand new episode covering another movie so if you want to stay up to date on the most meaningful critics in the modern film sphere be sure to you know check in next week with the Magellans of the movie